This is Ricky Jarofsky, Wonderful Trip to East Africa, Part 2. In the middle of telling you about our trip to East Africa, Part 1, I celebrated a big birthday on February 20th, my 75th. Now, my philosophy about birthdays is to own them, to rejoice rather than moan about the passage of another year. I had lots of help with this one as many friends traveled to Florida where we spent our winters and they helped me party and enjoy this passage. We have had guests for over three weeks and it has been a pleasure, although I must admit it is now just fine to be alone in our condo and get back to normal life. My dear sister Carol threw me a grand luncheon party and my husband a wonderful barbecue for our out of town guests and some dear friends. It was a happy time, and I feel blessed by the outpouring of love. I also am thankful for good health, despite lots of replacement parts and the usual aches and pains. But I try to swim often, play golf, run my opera club and sing a little, and take pleasure in simple things like the gorgeous orange hibiscus outside my den window, and my loving cardinals that visit me every day. Actually, having a milestone birthday makes you reflect on life. It is kind of like a new year with resolutions to exercise, not drink so very much, be a good friend, a good stepmother and grandmother, and a good wife. Perhaps I'm seeing things more clearly or just I'm happy to be alive when so many of our friends are sick and dying. Okay, back to Africa. I left off in Nairobi where we stayed at the charmingly beautiful Hemingway's Hotel. We'd previously met our guide, Zioti, and driver, George, and they planned to pick us up at 2.30 in the afternoon, which gave us time for a leisurely breakfast and walk around the flower-filled property. The first visit was to the Karen Blixen Home Museum, not too far from the hotel, which is in Karen, a suburb of Nairobi, and named after Karen Blixen. This remarkable Danish woman, whose life was the subject of her book, Out of Africa, is memorialized in her home. We saw the movie with Meryl Streep and Robert Redford just before we left for Africa. We needed a refresh since we had last seen it in 1985. Of course, it is romantic and charming and focused on her all-absorbing affair with Dennis Finch Hatton, portrayed by Redford. It also highlighted the fact that her husband, Broer Blixen, infected her with syphilis. She suffered through her lifetime from the mercury poisoning that she needed for the treatment used in those days at the turn of the century to cure the disease. Karen Blixen lived in Kenya for 17 years. She was not only an author, she wrote Babette's Feast, a wonderful movie, and she was an artist. Beautiful paintings are on the walls of her home that she did of her servants on the coffee plantation. I could go on about her extraordinary achievements, but you can read about them if you follow the link above. That is, if you're reading this and not just listening to it. She entertained royalty. She lived and loved with passion, eventually returning to Denmark to die. Our tour guide was a delightful young woman who was well-informed, and we enjoyed the visit immensely. Of course, afterward, Googling all we could in our hotel room. There was a light rain at the time of our visit, but our large hotel umbrellas and our expert guide, Zioti, kept us from getting soaked. We then headed to the Giraffe Breeding Center and found ourselves among the gorgeous endangered Rothschild giraffes. We were given some pellets to feed them and had to stand on a platform to get a real kiss from the young ones.
If we stood on the ground, they would bend over to eat their treats. We learned that a mother, Betty, protected her young female, Selma, against a lion attack by kicking at the lion, great, powerful kicks, and sent him injured on his way. The pregnant giraffes go off to the forest that is part of the sanctuary to have their offspring that are born standing up at about six feet. We spent a long time listening to the local guide and needed to be urged away from these incredible creatures. When this center was founded, there were only 120 of this species. Now there are 300, all safe and breeding well. Our next stop was a visit to the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. We were already familiar with the work the Trust does as we were encouraged by Roar Africa, our travel agent, to foster an elephant before our trip. We fostered a young elephant, Maramoja, and an orphan giraffe called Kiko and received detailed monthly updates on these young orphans, complete with beautiful watercolor drawings of the elephants. Because we were already fostering, we got to visit at a specific hour, I think it was five o'clock, with other foster parents, avoiding the larger groups of people. We arrived in time for feeding. Now these are all three-year-old and under, although they are still quite large, probably about 10,000 pounds, although they are shorter and smaller than adult elephants. They certainly knew it was feeding time as they came running into the yard and were taken to their sheds to be fed with large bottles shaped just like human baby bottles. And it turns out they used human baby formula for them. Each shed also had a bed in it for the keeper who was the nanny for the elephant. The babies would wake the keeper during the night to get fed. Now remember, these are all orphans, many of whom were the children of elephants who'd been killed, poached for tusks, etc. The Sheldrick organization gives details about finding the orphan elephants and airlifting them to the sanctuary. The plan, of course, is to eventually release them into the wild. One young one we saw was injured and he kept pulling at his stitches. The hair is very bristly and coarse when you touch their bodies. They're quite endearing. Kiko, our foster giraffe, was certainly growing out of his very tall stable and we just recently received an account about his experience with the lion. And I quote, three lions circled his stockade and incredibly one managed to jump into the enclosure. How she scaled that height remained a mystery, but the morning revealed that she had quite literally clawed her way up the wooden posts into the boma or livestock enclosure. Thankfully, Keeper Ciprian, sleeping next door in one of the elephant stockades, heard Kiko's kicking and immediately roused to investigate. Giraffes don't make any audible sound, so other than the thuds of his hooves, there was no other noise. On closer investigation, Ciprian saw two lions outside the stockade, their eyes glowing red in the torchlight, and immediately summoned reinforcements. In no time, the night guards and the keepers on night duty rallied and the lioness inside the enclosure leaped from the confines and disappeared. She must have been worse for wear with the amount of violent kicking Kiko was doing. The whole rescue party remained on site until daybreak to ensure no further drama unfolded and that the lions did not return and most of all that Kiko had the comfort and security he needed at this most vulnerable time. Daybreak revealed some nasty injuries. Angela immediately coordinated efforts with the Sheldrick Trust funded Mount Kenya Mobile Veterinary Unit. Kiko's now recuperating well and has a new home lined up for his future. He grew up with the elephants and has a very strong personality. Again, if you go to the link, you can read all the fascinating details about him. 
it is worth it and who knows you might decide to foster an elephant we even saw a newborn white rhino on this visit a white rhino is not white but has a different mouth or snout from the black ones the white snouts are wide and flat the blacks sharp they eat different food there was also a large rhino there that was blind and he was looked after in this safe environment we were dragged away and headed back to the hotel amongst it seemed all the cars in nairobi heading home from work cars a scooter with eggs sitting precariously on the back fender on another a sofa cars totaling totally ignoring the one lane of traffic and police totally ignoring the cars driving every which way on this narrow road it was quite hilarious but it was also very slow at the hotel our assigned butler took our shoes and cleaned off any leftover elephant dung our dinner destination was a restaurant called talisman we ate outdoors in a charming corner of a garden packed with other diners the food was international everything from sushi to indian i had stir fried duck and ginger and a spicy sauce it was tasty charles had a fish curry we drank some south african wine which was delicious and then we were picked up by our driver in zioti who actually just sat outside and waited for us while we ate nice to be accompanied and i am sure important to be accompanied back at the hotel we had cognac in the grand bar upstairs and then went to bed but just before we did we noticed that birthday cake that was in our room on arrival and kept fresh under a silver salver we sat down and like two children grabbed chunks of cake and made a real mess of things the icing was superb and we really enjoyed this treat in the morning after an early breakfast and checkout we were driven to wilson airport actually finch hadn't flew his tiger moth there and experienced the bureaucracy of the airport immigration actually the woman was charming and singing along to a rock video that was played on a tv screen in the immigration office then she escorted us across the field to our small plane i think charles said it was a cessna caravan that could hold up to 14 passengers but we were the only ones and charles got to sit beside the pilot the flight was about an hour and we landed at kilimanjaro international airport in tanzania it was very exciting flying by mount kilimanjaro and seeing it in the parted clouds now this airport took its security seriously we went through scanners when we got off the plane and two more times before we took our next flight we needed an entry visa which i thought i had prepared but someone connected to rural africa met us and they handled everything because of our age we didn't have to give our fingerprints just have our pictures taken i guess older people are less threatening go figure then we took a flight with a diversion to a place called arusha to pick up some tourists from korea and then on to manyara our destination rarely does a plane go from a to b but often stops en route to pick up passengers this time we had a super female pilot with a beginner first officer who landed the plane not too well the runways are mostly sand or gravel and very short the other passengers did not speak english at all one wonders how they fared without a guide we were met and driven to ngorongoro crater a 2 hour journey but the country was beautiful mostly bumpy roads and switchbacks up to the top of the volcano made our trip lengthy to our lodge and beyond ngorongoro crater lodge proved to be quite fantastic rooms that resemble masai huts with grand chandeliers hung above hung above gorgeous beds we dressed and walked up to the lodge before dinner and before dark 
before dark for dinner, always before dark. After dark, he must be escorted. We had drinks in a large living room that resembled a turn-of-the-century elegant English drawing room. There were a few other couples there, and it was delightful relaxing in this glorious space before dinner. The food was very good, if too copious, and we had been assigned a butler wine steward called McCoy, who would know what we liked and look after us during our stay. The dining room was furnished with beautiful tables laden with crystal and fine china, and we were at the top of a crater that existed two million years ago. Amazing. The caldera, or crater, measures between 10 and 12 miles, 16 and 19 kims, across, and has an area of 102 square miles, or 264 square kims. Its heavily forested rim rises 2,000 feet, 610 meters, above the caldera's floor to an elevation of 7,500 feet, or 2,286 meters. The Gorongoro is thought to have formed about 2.5 million years ago from a large active volcano whose cone collapsed inward after a major eruption, leaving the present vast unbroken caldera as its chief remnant. The caldera's floor is predominantly open grassland. It is home to a diverse array of animals, including elephants, black rhinoceroses, leopards, buffalo, zebras, warthogs, new or wildebeest, Grants and Thompson's gazelles, and the densest population of lions in the world. The local Maasai people also graze their livestock in the crater. We were excited to visit the crater the next day. Our guide Moody met us after dinner and informed us to, that we had to be ready to leave at 5.50 a.m. Always good for seeing wildlife if you start early. We would be awakened with juice and cappuccino and meet the other couple who would be sharing our vehicle. Then it all began. The time was changed to 6.45 so that this couple could watch the sunrise. Okay, who cares about seeing the animals? When we picked them up at their hut, they were not ready, but wandering around. Hmm, I thought. Then we met them, the spoiled 20-somethings from Mumbai. She played with her smartphone and dropped it numerous times as our jeep trekked over rough roads. She was dripping with jewellery, and he was a chubby little fellow who kept saying, Moody, I want to see Rhino. When can we see Rhino? Then she started with her wanting to see a lion kill. We stopped for a light breakfast en route to the crater floor. The food is carried in the truck and is limited, naturally. She opined, Moody, I am a vegetarian. What do you have for me? And don't you have skim milk? I need skim milk. Well, I thought... Let's stop at a 7-Eleven right here in Africa in the middle of the volcano and see what we can get or call Uber Eats. Okay, then we spotted a lion watching all the gazelles, wildebeest, and waiting to pounce. But the moment had passed and the lion just hung out in the tall grasses, knowing its short range of attack. It was a standoff, as Moody very carefully explained. Then our rich, crazy Indian young woman, whose name I have deliberately forgotten, said, Moody, make the lion attack. Let's go closer, Moody. I want a kill and blood, said this vegetarian. Moody stood firm, and then she said two very thoughtful things. Moody, call the lodge and have them send us another vehicle. Sure. It was only an hour and a half away. And then she said, Moody, call the forest ranger and get him to make the lion kill. 
There I was, muttering all kinds of things under my breath, holding my tongue, which was trying so hard to tell the little bitch what I thought of her when another jeep passed close by and stopped. I assumed Moody had contacted another driver, at which point we said we would gladly leave, jumped out of the vehicle and joined a bunch of noisy, fun-loving, fun-loving Aussies and headed home to the lodge for lunch. I should mention that we did see multitudes of zebra, wildebeest, gazelles, jackals and buffalo all hanging out together. That was glorious. The good news is that the lodge is divided into three camps, all identical, and we were in a different one from the brats. We enjoyed a delicious delicious lunch of salads, cheese and cold cuts and gazed out the windows of the dining room at the spectacular view. The plan was to visit a Maasai village in the afternoon with Moody when he returned. When he did, he was very apologetic, as was the manager. Of course, we told him that we certainly didn't blame him. In fact, Moody was a superb guy. Both Charles and I were both very embarrassed by the actions and disrespect of the young couple. We'd said nothing when we got back, but word travels in the bush, I guess. These two had already insulted many of the staff, and it was just unfortunate that we were paired with them in the morning. But actually, it certainly made for a good story, and I do a pretty good imitation of the girl's squeaky, sugary voice, which amuses Charles. We then went to the village that was not too far away, and we're the first group there, as you'll see in the pictures if you are looking at my pictures. White men can jump. Charles started dancing with the tribesmen as did I eventually. We learned that the warriors live on a diet of raw cow meat, milk and blood and sometimes soups made from vegetables. The young boys are circumcised when they reach puberty and they have no anesthetic. They must not scream or utter a sound and they live separately and wear black for a few months until they are recovered. It is painful, but they become initiated as warriors. The girls, too, are circumcised. No comment here. I provided a link that you can read in much more detail regarding their way of life, but it was fun and fascinating to meet them and hold their hands, except for the cold that Charles and I both got a few days later. We kept noticing the chief coughing into his sugar or sheet wrapped around his body. The men have long hair, the women have shaved heads, and they are beautiful people who apparently never have tooth decay nor high cholesterol. We enjoyed our visit and it didn't feel commercial, although we did buy a few trinkets, and I'm sure that our outing was paid for as part of our tour. We returned to our magnificent hut to find a bath had been set for us with rose petals adorning our slippers. Then we headed up to dinner only to find that my birthday was being celebrated with a meringue cake and all the kitchen staff singing and dancing Hakuna Matata or No Worries. I got up and joined in the dancing as did Charles and there was great joy in the room. Another nice way to continue experiencing my birthday. The cake wasn't bad either. We were escorted back to our hut and the guide shone his flashlight on a large group of Cape buffalo watching us closely. I'm sure one of them winked at me. In the next part, I'll tell you about our time in a tented camp at Singita Sabora. For now, cheers, Ricky.